everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm Spencer Martin, author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. I'm here with Andrew Vance from the Choose the Hard Way podcast to break down, give our thoughts on the Tour de France that just wrapped up, and maybe touch on the insane, the real race, the Vuelta España that's coming up. Andrew, before we get into it, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast? Yeah, this week we have Kristen Legan, winner of Unbound XL, and her husband, Nick Legan, gravel cycling legend, former world tour mechanic, author of the definitive book on gravel racing and bikepacking. Come check us out. Find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at Hardway Pod on social. Don't miss yeah, it. I have a, ha- a habit of like running into people just as they're doing like world changing things and thinking like that's never going to work. Like I ran into the Icarus guy when he was making the documentary and I was like, no one's going to watch this. What a silly documentary. And then it won an Academy Award. I ran into Nick when he was writing that book. And I was like, I don't know, gravel racing? Is anyone really like, okay, yeah, we want to ride off the roads, Nick. Yeah, right. And then, of course, he wrote the book. And then now it's like the most popular form of riding. So here we are. I, I'm excited to hear that interview with the Legans, the, the royal family of Colorado cycling. But Andrew, Jonas Vindegaard, we called this from the beginning. I mean, we said, I think even last year after he won, this guy do- going to dominate for years to come. No one can touch him. I'm kidding, of course. I think you even said he's never going to even race another Grand Tour. He still <laughs> looks equally bewildered. I- I'm not quite sure what to make of this. He does remind me of Froome a little bit, but what are you, as you sit here licking your wounds, what are you taking away from this tour? What I'm taking away from this tour is that Sagan is definitely actually retiring. I don't know if you noticed this, but he wore he had like a regular jersey bibs combo on the Champs Elysees stage, which I thought was that was pretty striking. It really jumped out of me. The man's truly retiring, I would say. Probably not the headline from this tour, but we did see some, you know, seasoned mature athletes take say, stage wins, like Mike Woods, of course, one of the most yeah. remarkable wins of the tour I would say Uh, I mean I think this tour delivered in every regard and something I was reflecting on today is I was out there pedaling number one I was thinking wow these riders just put out an inhuman amount of watts as I was looking at the relatively small amount of watts that I was pushing and then the other thing I reflected on is anytime we get towards the end of the race I mean this is just a common human phenomenon hindsight is 2020 of course but we always you know impose patterns on things that didn't necessarily make sense at the time as a for example there's been a lot of talk now about how yumbo had this genius strategy where they were going to tire out pog in the first two weeks of the tour and that's really what let them win the race i he did lose the race and there's no rewriting history I have to say, I truly do think that if Pog had not been stopped by those motorcycles, I think that it would have been a psychological death blow. <laughs> You're going to say this. I really, he I maybe, really do. He might have gained 10 minutes no. on that attack. We don't no, know. He wasn't going to gain 10 minutes, but if anyone, I, it's interesting because there are, of course, a lot of uh, very champions of professional cycling who are commentators on the Tour de France. And then there are other people who haven't done a lot of bike racing or participated in a lot of athletic competition. But if you're a human being who has gone toe to toe with another human, and you have experienced either being totally psychologically broken by your opponent or imposing your will and destroying someone's will to continue to attack you, it's a real thing. And you can make people just collapse and you can totally ruin their confidence. And I do feel like Pog 
was on the verge of doing that. And then I think he got sick. I like that Pog is not the kind of champion who makes excuses. And I think he's one of the greatest sports people we've seen in the history of the sport, which is, I love him even more in this defeat than I ever have in his history as a professional cyclist. He's just such a class act. I love how he races. I love how, I love what a game competitor he is. I love how he never stops fighting. And I love that he's the kind of guy who goes and shakes somebody's hand after a race. And, you know, is he trying to mind F people perhaps, but I also think he genuinely is just a nice person who cares about his competitors and sets it aside once the race is over. So, you know, I'm waving my pog flag here. I still am very bullish on pog and yeah, hats off to Jonas Chapeau. He did it. I didn't think he would be back. I didn't think he would win the race and he won. So you're right. I'm wrong. That's a blitzkrieg of opinions and hot takes. I, you've overwhelmed me. I cannot respond. Um, just to work backwards on that. Yeah, I, I equally am like as into Pog as I've ever been. I thought this was like a, oddly a, maybe the best thing that ever happened to him, at least career wise. Like the guy's going to be king of France. Everyone loves him now. I I don't know. I I, I think that Vindergaard was so strong. That I'm trying to find that stage. It was the Juplan. It was stage into Morzine, stage 14. I think he probably matches that attack, but we, but it does speak to this weird habit that Jonas was, I don't know. He was just riding in front of Pogacar. Like he did it like five stages. And it's like, the guy's going to attack you and probably take time on you. I do think you're right about, I think everything's muddled because, you know, we can say X, Y, and Z, everything's muddled because he was clearly not well on stage 16, the beginnings of some sort of unraveling. And then stage 17, uh, that was, I think he he was probably sick, right? I don't even think the stage 16 might have been like suboptimal build up. You could say, well, he was training in his kitchen on his trainer. That's that's not ideal. Even if you're Tade Pogacar, that's hard to do. You're probably not going to win the Tour de France if you're doing that. What's crazy to think if if Jonas is still packing fish, he wins this Pogacar wins this tour by like minutes after having trained in his kitchen, but if you're going against a really good rider, not going to happen. Stage 17, you're right. Sickness, something was amiss there because by stage 20, I, the reason I don't think that was just fatigue is by stage 20, he looked really good. I mean, he was back to being equal with uh, Vindigo, Vindigard, whatever. I'm going to switch to Vindigo on the fly here. I'm going Vindigo. But wow. I saw they're putting out, it was like 455 watts for that final <sighs> climb, the plants of Vossel. So that's is like the thing that, I was concerned about George Hincapie called me up and he was like, well, I'm worried that Pogacar was never good enough to beat Vindegaard. Like Pogacar's best performances were not as good as Vindigo's time trial climb. I actually crunched the numbers on this. That's not quite true. Even though that climb was really good, it's like 13 and a half minutes, 1800 VAM, 7.1 watts per kilo. That's very good at the end of a time trial. But if you go back to 2020, you know, that's pretty similar to Pogacar's climb of um, the final climb on stage 20. And you have to remember that was twice as long, the, the effort before that. And if we go earlier in the race, like the Tourmalet, you know, those guys are doing 7.1 watts per kilo for the last 15 minutes of the Tourmalet. Insane. And then the same, same thing on the Plants of Oslo, my favorite climb of this race. They were doing you know, about seven watts per kilo, evenly matched, couldn't drop each other. I think that, I think they're about equal in the climbs. This isn't, we don't have to run to the hills and say it's, it's Jonas is going to dominate for the next five decades. I think he just fell apart in the middle there. So I will, I will concede that point to you. 
and Inigo Samalon, who is Pog's coach, correct? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, he I like that's, he, he coaches him. He's like that's. Just, I think he writes the training plans. Is, yeah, is he writes the, the way they plans. tell the story. Yeah. So his his comment was that Pog trained for a had about two solid weeks of training heading into the tour. So I think if that's <laughs> true, I mean that's pretty amazing that the guy came in and did this. The other thing that Samalon said was that they're going to repeat this approach of having having him race the classics next year because that actually is optimal to build the base that he needs to go into the tour. I think that this is a discussion for us to have. <laughs> is, is that actually the optimal preparation? I guess what he's saying is it's good for him to build to a, a peak of fitness and to have the level of intensity and stress that you can only get through that level of racing. So there might be something to be said for that. However, the level of risk that you're exposing yourself to results in things such as you have a broken wrist and you're, you're not going into the tour in a situation where you can actually win it versus Jonas, who was more on the, the Lance and riders of past eras where it was the focus is totally on the tour. So I think this is going to be litigated heavily in the coming year. And I think I'm, this is something I'm really curious what your take is on Spencer, who is waiting in the wings that might sweep in here, this next generation of 18, 19 year olds that we might see come from seemingly out of nowhere and win the tour next year. Do you see anybody waiting in the wings in that regard? Well, here to get to your first point, I, I think Benji Nassen said it really well. He's like, I don't think it was racing the classics. That's the problem. It's the crashing in the classics. I don't think you can separate those two things. As you said, no. you're just taking on a high degree of risk. If you really want to win the tour, you're probably better. It makes me sad. I love that he won Flanders. I actually would prefer him to keep that same schedule because it's just fun to watch. Um, I think that you can't take that risk out, though. You know, there's a good chance. Think of Fabian Cancellara. The guy had like a broken back for half of his career because he was always crashing in the classics. I think that's just a little too risky if you really care about the tour. Maybe he doesn't care about the tour, which would be awesome too. I'll show up. I'll try to win. I trained for two weeks. Oh, I got second. I don't think I could train for two weeks and win like a local criterium in like a random middle America town. Like that's unbelievable. He got that close to winning the tour with that. But yeah, as far as it, and I was, you know, doing my little like dream board three-way battle, writing up my post-tour breakdown of like, well, next year, if there's Juan Ayuso or Remco Evanapol here, Taddy Pogacar will be able to leverage a three or four person race to, to put Jonas in a mind pretzel and beat him. But as you pointed out last episode, has that ever happened? Have we ever had a three rider deadlocked race? I'm not so sure, but those would probably be the two like Juan Ayuso, you could say he's overrated because the guy doesn't actually win that much and he's celebrated as like the best young rider ever, perhaps. But I, he did podium at 19 years old at the vault last year. That is unbelievable. Not bad. Not and bad. Rem, Remco obviously won that race. I'm still not convinced because Remco's never performed well in the Alps. And as far as I know, the Alps played a pretty significant role in this tour. So if you can't climb that well in the Alps, it could be a bit of a problem, but those would be the two big riders you would think if they're at this race next year. And if I'm UAE, I'm definitely bringing Ayuso. Just go full chaos strategy, throw as much as you can at Jonas, get those eyes even wider, and just see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking at the start list for the Vuelta right now, and 
Man, wow. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's I kept so, joking on so the set stacked. of the move. I was like, let's just yeah. screw the tour. Let's talk about the Vuelta guys. But I'm like, no, like this is going to be, it's just off the top of my head. Like it was originally going to be awesome because it was Joao Almeida, Juan Ayuso, Rimko Evanapol, Primoz Roglic. Like, well, now you have my attention. This is interesting. But now we're going to get Jonas Vindegaard, who on the, the morning of the last stage just announced, ah, I'm going to the Vuelta. See you there for, for reasons we're not quite sure why. And Sepku, sorry, you just crashed on your face. You're coming with me, bud. Third Grand Tour of the yeah. season. And I guess that UAE can't take Pogacar because that is not really fair to Almeida and Ayuso. But come on, bring that guy and let's get every top Grand Tour rider racing against each other. It's all we need is Pogacar to go to the Vuelta. So what's, what do you see Roglic's role being at the Vuelta? Is he riding in support of Jonas or vice no. versa? No, the, road gonna, the road will the road's decide. Gonna decide. I'm not. Con- I mean, if I'm Yumbo, or if, even if I'm Jonas, that's a pretty big ask. Like you just won the tour. You've never raced two Grand Tours in a season. I would, I would use him as a backup almost. Like Primos is your A. Let's just see what happens with Jonas. I think that they do a rope dope similar to the UAE. Adam Yates false flag. And I think that they go all in on Attila Valter and Milan Vader just because they have cool names. Yeah. Milan Vader is, is an unbelievable name. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) I saw that on the start list and that jumped out to me as well. It's too Um, bad. I already had my kids. I mean, I could name one of them Milan Vader. Milan Vader Vaughn's. And I mean that his parents definitely should have named him Darth. They really missed that there. I am a little concerned, though. Let's flash forward to 2024. We're at the Tour. Remco Evenepoel, Juan Uso, Primus Roglic, Tadej Pogacar, Jonas Vindegaard are on the start line, and Jonas just dismantles them. It's a slight concern of mine because the guy is so good at climbing and time trialing. Let's just say perfect scenario. Pogacar does not have any problems. He's just races this clean. Like, how does he beat him? Like, explain that. I don't. I'm not, it's not that I don't believe it. I just want to hear it spelled out of like, how do you, how does he beat Jonas? How does Pog beat Jonas? Yeah. Let's assume, assume yeah. that the time okay. trial is a wash. So they, they none yeah. of them game time in the time trial. I think that they're much more closely matched than we saw in this race. Even with the time trial, I think if, if we assume that Pog was sick for a period of perhaps three days, that means that leading up to it, he had some kind of viral load. He was getting sick. He was fatigued. I think that definitely impacts his time trial performance. I also think, again, part of what I really like about Pog is that he's not a whiner and he doesn't complain about ailments that he has. He just shows up and puts out and does his very best. And you have to think that his bike handling was probably severely negatively impacted by his ability to grasp the bar's discomfort or just ergonomic aspects that, again, he's not complaining about. So I think that made him much more tentative on the descents. We talked about this on the previous episode, but you know, Jonas was like really gapping him a number of times when they were descending together. So I think that that was a big factor in the time trial. And I think just physiologically, he was, he was just not at his best once the illness set in. So I don't think that there's this massive delta in their ability that we perceive right now. I think part of what's going to be really interesting in coming years, if they both show up at the race well, if they're not ill, if they don't have injuries, part of what I loved about this tour 
is that these teams are, you know, they're adapting to the reality of the competitors that they're facing and both as individual teams and then collectively across the Peloton, they're not colluding, but strategies are emerging to try to neutralize the Galacticos and whether it's teams that want to go stage hunting and find some kind of opportunity to win or just this, this, I mean, at the beginning of the race, we kind of had this dead heat around GC Yumbo apparently was going all in on this strategy of just chipping away and trying to get Pog to waste energy. Conversely, UAE had the strategy of floating Yates as this false flag GC potential rider took the yellow jersey initially. So I'm really curious, like what's going to emerge next year? And another aspect of what's going on inside of Yumbo, I wrote this down in my notes. Spencer, I, we've actually never talked about this. Were you in a band when you were a young person? No, no. I was like, there Forever? was like no, no music okay. allowed where I grew up. That's okay. the devil's work. Yeah, it was like Footloose, no dancing. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up playing in a band. Anybody who's been in a band or, Spencer, you've been on athletic teams that have been really high performing. You have like a certain period of time when stuff's going really well, as it is for Yumbo right now. And then at a certain point, conflict sets in. Your drummer goes to join another band. There's like something bigger and better somewhere else. Egos come into play. And I just wonder if the individual aspirations within Yumbo are going to start pulling the band apart, move people in different directions. And will Jonas have the level of support that he needs next year to actually do this again? It's, it's a valid question. I mean, he was, they, they were not the same without Wout. Once Wout was, it went on to bigger and better things, the baby. He was pretty isolated on stage 20. And Adam Yates, great addition to UAE. I mean, like nothing but positive things about Adam Yates. Outside of Adam Yates, I thought that team still doesn't click. For whatever reason, you'd think that they have enough money. I think the Lantern Rouge podcast was talking about this. Like, why isn't Stefan Kung on this team? You know, I think the way Jonas wins, or sorry, Pogacar wins this race over Jonas, you match him on the climbs, because I think Pogacar at his best. Jonas doesn't seem to have bad days. I don't understand this. The guy's like never had a bad day at the tour. Assume that continues forever. You're just going to have to match him on the climbs, match him in the time trial, and win with time bonuses. And the team was just not, never strong enough to pull it back. Think of like Guido Dome. That should have been a Pogacar stage win. Stage 13 of Grand Colombier. That should have been a Pogacar stage win. The rulers are just not strong enough to control breakaways you know, that's where I think they have to, where they could get, if you think about it as an opportunity to get better, like they could really retool that and become better at that kind of beat Yumbo at their own game. And as you say, like, I do kind of wonder, like, well, I mean, okay, Wilco Kelderman, I'm sure he's getting paid a lot that this is probably the, the pinnacle of his career, but yeah. Wow. Laporte, Van Barl, like, are they ever going to get sick of this? I, I don't know. It's definitely worth asking. I don't, maybe Wout is happy with this. That's the big. I don't know. I, I, I feel like he's me. not. I feel like he's not. I feel like Wout is not happy with this. There. I mean, again, reflecting on what happened in 2020, 2021, 22. And of course, we're now here in 2023, as I name years in sequence. <laughs> I mean, Wout's a guy who loves to win. I think he was focused on his wife having a baby, which is great. I'm glad that he's uh, focused on that. That's an important thing in life. And you know that that guy wanted to win a stage at this race and is super pissed off right now. He is a winner. He's a champion. He's a killer. And I don't think he's happy with the tour that he just had. 
No, the timing did, he got a little screwed with the baby timing because you look at stage 19, that is well written all over it. Stage 20, that he could have won that from the breakaway. Stage 21, I think he could have won that. So he did get pulled away, I think, right as he probably could have started winning stages. I do kind of, I think about like post US Postal all the time. Like if you're Floyd Landis or Tyler Hamilton, you really think you can win. Lance was a little bit of an, he was a lot of an outlier. They just never got hurt. But you think about these guys never stay healthy. Like, what's the chance that Jonas Vindegaard is healthy for the tour next year? It's not as high as you think. Like, GC contenders get hurt all the time, get sick all the time. I don't know. Like, there is a, a school of thought that says, like, yeah, you're not too happy with your role, but just stick it out. Like, the guy's going to get hurt eventually. Like, he can't just keep having clean runs for the tour, and then maybe it's it's wout time when that happens because. You move a team like me, I don't know. There's just not a lot of great options because you're going to be stuck in the same problem anywhere you go. Speaking of a wout adjacent topic, Matthew Vanderpool, I thought an odd tour for him where he's just a domestique, but then I heard that he's, he comes out as he's sick, yeah. but he was preparing for Worlds. But also, if, wouldn't you just drop out? How is riding through the Tour de France sick good for your Worlds preparation? I have no idea, but a, a sick MVDP is good enough to give the lead outs he gave to Philipson, who that's another topic I'd love to dig into, but we'll park that for a moment. But yeah, Vanderpool, another rider. I'm sure he's not happy that he didn't walk away from this race with the stage win. Definitely hungry for redemption at Worlds. And yeah, what is his future? Where is he going in Grand Tours? And we got to get to Pitcock. Yeah, Pitcock. So the last time you were on here, you were speculating that you know Carlos Rodriguez is leaving because this team is all about Tom Pitcock. I don't think that's true. Um, I've heard things that the team's not actually too impressed with Tom Pitcock, and they should not be because the man's never performed well in a GC role, and then this was a disaster. I mean, what are your thoughts on Pitcock after this? Yeah, I've heard similar things. Also, the team's now making statements confirming what we were speculating in the first second week of the tour that this, I think they really saw this as a dry run for Pidcock going for an actual podium in 2024. And I think what they learned is he's, there's a bit of a Delta between where he is right now as a writer and what he would need to do in order to win. I think this also goes back to the, a bit of, you know, the pog schedule challenge, which is, can you do, mountain bike XCO world cups. Can you do cyclocross world cups, world championships, race the classics, and then come win a grand tour. I think it was a really fun brief period of time for about two years when there, we had this handful of Galacticos who were doing that style of schedule. And I don't think we're going to see that again. And I think we're going to go back to real specialization and will Pidcock win the tour. I just, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of person whose ambitions align with what the team would actually like him to do. And which I think he probably thought, yeah, I'm good enough. Maybe I can do this. I think it's quite a bit more challenging than maybe he thought at the outset. Yeah. And I would like invert the question of like, what, from what, what have we seen from Tom Pickock that would make us think that he's even remotely capable of winning the tour? I mean, he can perform well in mountain stages in isolation, but it's ne never proven that he can be consistent. I mean, the man finished 20 minutes behind Thibaut Pino 
who didn't even appear to know that he was racing for GC and then kind of impressively ended up in 11th. Tom or uh, Sepp Kuss, like fell on his face, really bad accident, finishes 10 minutes ahead of Tom Pitcock. And he's a domestique for other people. So I don't know. I, yeah, I think the, the schedule's too crowded and just mentally he might not be the type of guy that is a GC contender. Yeah, perhaps but, not. What do you make of rumors that Remco is going to Enios? I think, I don't know. I've dug into this quite a bit. I have, you, you, you always want to take everything here with a grain of salt. I don't think it's happening. I think it'd be fun if it happened. But yeah, if you really think about that story, I think there was, there was the bizarre Lefebvre. No, I didn't sell the team for $16 million, which now in retrospect, was that just Lefebvre trying to like put the, the price tag of $16 million next to his yeah. team? And then Remco's dad coming out and saying, we're mad because we don't make as much as Tadej Pogacar. It's like, well, dude, you don't race the, the Tour de France. Like Tadej Pogacar is a two-time Tour winner, four-time Monument winner. You don't even do those races. Of course, you're not paid the same. And you just signed the contract seven months ago. Did you not read it? We so saw the pictures from the dinner. We saw what went down. Yeah, we saw that. So I don't know if there, I think that's just... I think it's kind of them complaining, but I don't know if there's any teeth to an actual move. Unless Lefebvre says, I'm like 70 years old and sure, I'll sell them for 10 million. And then I'll lower the costs on my team for the next, because he has sponsors through 2026. It wouldn't be totally crazy for him to say, this is going to be pretty expensive. Let me sell Remco Evenepoel and I'll just keep some extra money for myself until the sponsorships run out in 2026 and then I retire and I shut the team down. It was not like the best sporting decision, but I could understand that from a personal perspective. All right, Spencer, at the outset of this tour, I said that Campanerts was going to win a stage. He did not succeed in winning a stage. He, he was did better get the than red I thought, though. <laughs> I mean, the guy I was just really I, good. Yeah, he was on fire. My spidey sense was tingling. I have to ask, though, do you perceive his tour as a success or a disappointment? And do you think that we're going to see him go from being an extremely aggressive writer to someone who actually wins. Well, he doesn't win a lot. I think this, I do. Yes, this is a success. He doesn't, that style of writer is just never going to win very much. He's never won a tour stage. He's only won one grand tour stage at the Giro. But if you take his ride from this tour and like, just kind of teleport it into the Giro, maybe even this year's Giro, he's winning like one, maybe two stages. So yeah, that's a, like, if he just keeps that up, the type of riding he was doing, He's winning like other Grand Tour stages that aren't the Tour. So yes, I would say it's successful. What about Bahrain victorious? I expected that Mohoric somehow would find a way to win a stage. But overall, I found they're just impressive in this Tour in a way that I didn't anticipate. Yeah, they were unbelievable. I mean, the Mohoric, the funny thing is, I was like, stage nine, I was like, wow. Like, I guess he's just going for mountain stages now. And then he delivered on exactly the type of stage you thought he would on stage 19. Really impressive to be Casper Askren in that sprint. I mean, the guy oh, is yeah. just, I mean, he just stays so arrow too. Like his, he was never touching the front unless he needed to. And then he wins that sprint in the last 50 meters. Yeah, super impressed with Bahrain. Who, who is, I, I was ranking the teams from one to 22. Who do you think had the worst tour? Oh, wow. Probably Drone Hopper. <laughs> There's teams here. I, I honestly, I couldn't do the list without looking because I couldn't come up with 22 teams because there was teams I forgot were in this race. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm having to pull up the start list. Let's take a look here. Like, for okay. example, DSM was at this race. One DSM. stage top five. 
You know, uh, a team that did not win a stage but impressed me simply because they had outstanding social media presence was Intermarche Circus Wanty. I, w- I hope that Benium would have won a, won a stage. He did not. Um, I am curious, where does, where does his future go? Like, are we going to see him deliver on the level that we saw him do in 2022? Not a great 2023 so far. But if you don't follow them on Twitter, they're great. I don't know who's running their social media account, but it's uh, among definitely among the best in pro cycling. Uh, you probably want to give oh. people a, a pass on their first tour. I, you know, you yeah. could imagine it being a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm going to say Total Energies is last. Like, uh, I don't, they, were I don't, I, they were up there yeah. for me. Yeah, Three stage probably, podiums, though. And Movistar, one stage podium. Movistar yeah. was pretty bad. Yeah, Movistar was bad. Um, conversely, I know that I talked some trash on the Yates brothers. They've impressed me in this race. I mean, especially Adam. I didn't think that he would ride at the level that he did, and I didn't think that he'd take to the support role that he's in. But I mean, it kind of blew my mind. It was incredible, and they ended up with an Ineos podium, right? Yeah, the the old Ineos podium. I I was too unironically impressed by the Yates brothers. I thought it was fascinating how close they were. They're third and fourth in the GC. Apparently, yeah. they when they were at Jayco or whatever they were called in Green Edge, they kept them separate for like emotional reasons they didn't want them racing against each other so we finally got like the crossing of the yates and i mean did you see that on stage 20 where they were out of the saddle like riding in sync up the final climb it was really yeah. bizarre to see so oh yeah nothing but positive like i was nothing but good vibes for the yates that was an impressive ride yeah and then definitely yeah i just have to say this ef I'm very disappointed from like the, the level of talent they have on that team. I mean, you could say a more talented stage winning team, perhaps in Bahrain. They, they didn't get a single, I don't think they got a single top five on a stage. They get 12 days in the KOM, but, but frankly, Nielsen Palace is a better climber than Julia Ciccone. If they would have played things differently, they could have won that KOM jersey, but they burned them out chasing cat four climbs in the first week. And then Betty all Magnus Court, like where where were those guys? I I was a little disappointed yeah. with that. Yeah, I didn't quite follow the KOM strategy. I just on its face, it didn't seem like that was going to work. I mean, I it got them a lot of coverage on. It's going to say American TV, but as we've discussed, it's not wherever it shows up on American streaming services. I think that it got a lot of coverage. Got JV on GCN pretty frequently. I think. But other than that, I you know didn't seem like the right way to go about it to actually win at the end of the race, which is the point of that contest. But what do I know? And little Trek, I thought that it's very hard to beat a GC contender or like a GC winner in the KOM. I mean, they did a really good job of chasing that KOM jersey and like act, doing it not yeah. for just for the publicity, but actually sticking that. I was really yeah. impressed with them. Yeah, it was definitely impressive. I want to know where Kenny is. On little trek, but Kenny, I'm gonna have King to Kenny. <laughs> he might be doing the yeah. Volta. We'll have to see. Oh my god, they killed Kenny. I don't see him on the roster right now, but I'd like to He's see not him. Not on the roster. No, I mean not currently, I... but this isn't a complete roster. Okay. They're, they're waiting to call him in. They're gonna ask Kyle yeah. and Stan if he can go to the race. I do think so on like a non-jokey note, someone like Kenny Ellison struggles at the modern tour because Yumbo has just, it seems that they take guys that weigh like 200 pounds naturally. 
yeah. and just strip them down to like 150 and have them set really, really high watts. That hurts a naturally small person like Kenny Ellisand, who, you know, maybe he would he would probably be better served used at a, another Grand Tour other than the Tour because of that. I'm pulling for him. I really, seriously, I want to see him back out there on the field of play. So hopefully we do see him at the Vuelta. We're going to have to wrap this up. Spencer, I'm, what do you think about Garen Thomas's chance at the Vuelta? Oh, man, I, I didn't even mention him. Um, you know, I never give him a high chance, but the guy's coming off an amazing Giro. Um, I don't think he can beat Primos. That seems to that seemed to be an issue, but man, I don't I don't know. I wouldn't totally write him off. I don't think it's the best. The Giro is definitely a better Grand Tour for him. The Vuelta, you get a lot of like hockey stick, explosive yeah. climb. Eh, that's not great for Garrett Thomas, but I am curious to see how he does. It was really wild to see Yumbo. Uh, I mean, Jonas, as we discussed in previous episodes, like he has now adopted the Enios approach to riding in the high mountains where just diesel, no attacking, Pog goes, you just like pull it back with that, that Enios Team Sky Death Star tractor beam. So it is curious how we're seeing this, this kind of uh, fall forward now. And the Enios tactics of your being used to great effect by the modern great teams. And maybe we'll see Garrett deploy that strategy with great success at, uh, at the Vuelta. I've certainly enjoyed his salty podcasting. I can tell you that. <laughs> always laying down. Always sounds like he's in a bed when he's podcasting. But yeah. we will be at that live show, Garrett. Uh, one thing about the, like the tractor beam and why it could be tough for Thomas is you do have to be going faster than the other people. You, know, you can't just be like, I'll sit here and just reel them in if you're not yeah. faster than them. And someone, yeah. I think Jonathan Kaplan said on one of his pods, he's like, why don't, why don't, why doesn't Pogaccio just attack at the bottom of the climb? It's like, well, because the pace is so high from Yumbo that you would yeah. just get reeled in and dropped right away. So it's like, they're essentially going at terminal velocity. And the yeah. only reason Jonas can reel in Pog when he attacks is because he can sit at seven watts per kilo for 15 minutes and just, you, you can't go faster than that. It, it's not going to, even yeah. an with an attack. Yeah, it's, it's not going to go down. I have to go in about 20 seconds. One thing I want to throw out there, I do know that uh, Tade Pagacha, he does listen to this podcast and just Tade, an open invite. If you want to come on and share more about your strategy, what happened, the illness, we did spot the cold sore in week three. We want to know what actually happened. So if you want to come on, we're ready to talk. It is so impressive. I mean, Cadell Evans is probably still talking about an illness that he maybe has that got the uh, Tade just never mentioned it. And then he also, I don't know if you noticed, he got flowers and the tr weird trophy at the end and he just consolidated it. Boom. I made a vase right here on the podium. I was, I was the most impressive thing I've ever seen him do. Talk about thinking on your feet. And Andrew, have a great, what does Jonathan say? You've got, you've got industries to disrupt, tea times to make. Thank you for joining us. And we will talk again soon. Peace be upon you. All right, bye.